Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1. And uh, I just wanted to give you uh, a little bit of context about what we're going to be talking about today and what this book of the Bible is. So if we look at the book of Isaiah, it was a book that was written about 700 years before Christ. All right, it was a prophetic book written in the time when Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Israel had turned their backs on God. They were living in rebellion. It was a very wicked time um, in the period of Israel. They were practicing idolatry. It was very, very sad to see God's chosen people turn their backs on him. And we see that God's heart is broken. It's grieved so much so that he raises up a prophet by the name of Isaiah to, uh, to proclaim and prophesy of a coming judgment to those that would not turn away. And the book, it details judgment, but it also details the means of salvation to those that would turn away from their sins. What's really special about this book, scholars would argue that this book, it provides the most comprehensive prophetic picture of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the coming king that would save his people from their sins. How do we know this? We see um, in Isaiah chapter 40, Jesus' announcement is prophesied. It says, it's the voice of, one, of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. We see a prophecy of Jesus' virgin birth in Isaiah chapter 7. The Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive a child, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, right? And then we also see a prophecy of Jesus' death. 700 years before he even entered the scene, we see a prophecy of his death in Isaiah chapter 52. And today, the place that I want us to focus on is Isaiah chapter 53. And this is what it says. Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to start with verse 1 and go to verse 6. And this is what it says. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And when we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Can someone say hallelujah? For his grace. Amen. You know, they say uh, that when you become a father, your perspective about the father's love changes. And uh, for me, that's very real because I'm three months in. I'm a new dad. Hello. And uh, the father's love, it, it really has changed my perspective. And I've expected that, you know, as a dad, you know, I've heard from other dads, you know, man, once you have a child, like, your life will be changed, and you're going to love, like, the Father, and it's going to be all of this. And I've expected that. You know, I'm, I'm feeling that, and it's been awesome. Um, but there's also a perspective that I want to highlight today that I didn't expect, being a dad. 
That's so weird saying, being a dad, you know. There's another perspective that I didn't see coming. And, uh, you know, it's the perspective of, you know, when I look at baby Mia, like, she's completely helpless, right? Like, she's a tiny baby. Like, she needs our attention. She needs food. She needs warmth. She needs love. And uh, when, I look at, when I look at Mia, I think to myself, man, I can't believe that Jesus was a baby. I, honestly, you think about it, like now that I'm living living in it, now that, I, you know, Christmas is like now and we're about to hit the Christmas season, I think about that often, like as I'm changing her diaper, you know, she's spitting up all over the place after we just changed her outfit, you know, all of these different things. And I think to myself, like Jesus was a baby. Like Jesus at one point in his life was completely helpless, dependent on his earthly parents to get him from point A to point B, to be fed, to live. And it's been making me think about Christmas in a whole different way. And the title of my message today is simply this, Consider Him. Consider Him. Consider the Savior of the world, the King of glory, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Revelation talks about Jesus, that his eyes were like fire when John had a vision of him. He, he is the radiance of God's glory. His appearance was that like the sun to the point where John, when he saw him, he felt like a dead man. Like, consider the reality that Jesus, the Messiah, the, the creator, the one that was there in the beginning with God, confined himself to a baby. To a helpless, little, innocent baby. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I think about Philippians 2 where it says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to cling to, but he chose to make himself familiar with our suffering. Chose to make himself nothing so that I could have everything. Salvation, the gift of eternal life. And that's what I want us to focus on today. I want you to consider him, church, before we get into the hustle and the bustle of Christmas and all the festivities and all the amazing things that we love Christmas to be, right? The Christmas story, the Christmas tree, like we just put up our Christmas tree the other day, and like all of these fun things that we talk about. And I want you to take a moment and consider him. Consider it it means to to take a step back, to think carefully, to, to ponder To think about the reality of what Jesus walked through all of those years ago. What he gave up so that we could attain. So there's three different elements that I want us to talk about today. Three Three different things that I want us to consider when we talk about Jesus. So number one, I want you to consider his upbringing. Isaiah 53 Verse 2 says this, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. Let me read that again. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. So when we look at, at Jesus' upbringing, we see that he was raised by a, a woman named Mary, right, and a man named Joseph, Mary was 
scholars would say Mary was 12 to 16 years of age when she had Jesus, which is a very common age to have children and have a family in that time period. We would see that she was part of the peasantry, skilled tradespeople of architecture, agriculture, and carpentry. She was probably growing up in a, in a typical family home that had one to two bedrooms. And, you know, they lived in an open courtyard with everyone sharing the same oven and cistern and millstone for grinding grain. Mary did household work. She was probably illiterate, couldn't read or write. It was rare that a woman back in the day could read and write. This was Jesus' mother. We look at Joseph, who we know was a hard worker because of his trade, worked in carpentry or or masonry, and, and, and this is the, the trade that Jesus picked up. And we know this because in Matthew and Mark, they're asking when Jesus has grown up and he's doing miracles, they're asking, isn't this the, the carpenter's son? We know that Jesus, he worked hard. He was raised by these two people, Mary and Joseph. And church, would you consider that? Would you consider that the Savior of the world knew what it was to work hard, knew what it was to be a part, because of the trade of that day, be a part of a lower middle income class, knew what it was to have the sweat on his brow from a hard day's work under the Middle Eastern sun. The savior of the world had a job. Yeah. He had a job. I mean, I think about myself. Like, sometimes I like to put, my, I like to put my, like, myself in situations like that. And I'm thinking, man, if I was a savior of the world, I would have passive income weekly at the snap of my fingers, right? I would know what, what stocks to invest in, what portfolio I should have. I, I would be having a check come to my mail from the angels in heaven every single Friday. Come on, how many with me? Like, this was, but yet he chose the process. He chose to pick up the trade of his father. He chose to work hard. He chose to sweat. He chose to do these things so that we would know that there was a high priest familiar with what we would go through. Consider, before going into this Christmas season, consider his upbringing. Number two, number two, I want you guys to consider Jesus' pain. Consider Jesus' pain. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. You know, I, I like to think, man, how, how hard it must have been for the Savior of the world to be overlooked, to be despised, to be rejected. You know, I think about even his childhood. You know, he didn't really have a, 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 a promising start when you think about it. Like, he was born in a manger, a cradle in the dirt. There was no room in the inn, right? I mean, just that fact alone, okay, so just to give you a little bit of context here, like, we just had a baby in August, right, and I remember that morning very specifically. I remember walking into that morning, 
and there was the comfort of knowing that, oh, yeah, we have these doctors, like, we have this beautiful room, like, we're here super early, like, the contractions haven't started yet, and we're just waiting. And I just imagine Joseph in that moment where they're trying to find a room for Jesus, the Savior. And that wasn't just like any baby. I'm talking the Savior of the world. Like, think about the pressure as a father. Like, think about the pressure that he must have walked through, that he must have thought like, man, we don't have a room, and Mary is going into labor. Like, I cannot imagine as a dad, as a husband, looking at Sandy on August 21st, Saying, hey, um, so I know that we're about to have a baby, but there's no more hospital rooms available. Like, church, I wouldn't be here today if I had told Sandy that there are no more rooms. Come on, any fathers in the room? We remember specific moments of labor that we cannot forget of our wives. How many can agree with me? All right, no one's agreeing with me, cowards. Um, so listen, imagine Imagine that moment. Imagine as a father being telling my wife, hey, there is no room in the inn. Okay, so then we find a place, right? There's, there's a little spot for us to have a baby. But then to boot, like, he's born, and then all of a sudden, we have to run and flee to Egypt because the king of that day, King Herod, heard about the Savior of the world being born and heard about the glory taken, being taken away from him in his spotlight. So he said, I'm going to kill every boy two years old and under in Bethlehem, which caused Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to flee to Egypt for safety. First, no room in the inn, and then has to flee to Egypt. This was Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. I think about that a lot often now that I have a child. I think about, man, the pain that he must have felt, the confusion, the worry, the, the doubt. Even as he gotten older, as he, he knows what God's called him to do, right? He's fully God and fully man, right? So there's this tension of, man, I, I know what my mission is. I know what I'm called to do, but yet I'm confined in this shell of humanity, like, I, I like to think of it like Jesus was stuck in the twilight zone. Like, you know, the twilight zone, how many have seen that show where it's like it's a false reality where people get stuck in and they can't get out? Like, Jesus was in the ultimate twilight zone where he, he, he was confined. His glory, his power, his might was confined to flesh. And I think about that often. I like to consider his pain. I like to consider the the moments that he pondered of his calling and his childhood, his birth, his upbringing. You know, we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus has begun his public ministry, and a teacher of religious law comes up to him and says, hey, uh, I want to follow you. And Jesus responds, and he says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, if you're going to follow me, we're not going to be staying at hotels. We're not going to be staying in inns. Most likely, we're not going to know where our next meal is going to come from. Most likely, we're going to be sleeping outside. Most likely, we're going to be going and walking into very hostile situations. This was the Savior, Jesus. Like, I, I wonder, like, why, why couldn't it have been easier? Why couldn't it have been easier for for the king of kings. And I think about that passage 
in Hebrews chapter 14 where it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Consider his pain, church. You know, this passage of scripture, foxes have dens and birds have nests, I believe it gives us a small window of what Jesus' ministry really looked like. Because in the Bible, we see a lot of the highlights, right? Jesus' ministry was three years. We see the miracles. We see him um, saying to the, to the storm, be still, right? We see him multiply the food to feed thousands of people. We see the highlights. We see the miracles. But this passage of scripture, for me, shows the reality of what Jesus' ministry really looked like. The long days. The sleepless nights of sleeping outside with his crazy 12 disciples. Consider, church. Consider. Consider his pain. And lastly, as we go into the Christmas season, church, I want you to consider his innocence. Jesus, consider his innocence. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 to 10. This is what it says. But it was the Lord's will to crush him. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our young. Let the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Verse 10 says this, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. It was the Lord's will to crush him. And to cause him grief. Ever since I have had Mia, the reality of this verse has really stuck with me. You know, as a new father, I'm soaking in every moment. Every moment. You know, I remember the moment when she was born. I remember the moment where we drove her home in the car. And that moment where it was really hot outside. And we were in the car. We were driving. And we had this song that we wanted to play for her as we were driving home. I remember the moments where she met her grandparents and she met her aunts and her uncles. All these moments, even moments alone with Mia. Those moments where it's just me and her and now she's like developing a little bit of a personality. So now she's very giggly and smiles and laughs. I mean, when she laughs, I feel like taking out my wallet and just buying her anything that she would ever desire. Like, I, I'm done for, church. Like, I'm done. Like, you know, as soon as she laughs, everything stops, and I just can't hold myself. But uh, 
I think about church, I think about those moments, those sweet moments as a dad. And it, it makes me wonder about the moments that Mary had with Jesus. The moments that she shared with her son as a baby. The moment that even though they were born, Jesus was born in a cradle in the dirt. How beautiful that moment must have been to realize that, man, I'm holding the Savior of the world. I could just imagine the wise men coming and giving their gifts and the shepherds come to pay honor to the Savior of the world. And then I think about Joseph as a father. I think about him and how he raised Jesus to be a carpenter, the pride that he must have had to raise Jesus and say, this is the work that my father taught me and my father's father taught him and now I'm teaching you and but then I, 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 as I think about those moments, as I think about the moments that I've had with me personally, I, I think about the moments that the Father had with Jesus. You know, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in other words, when Jesus, when, when God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there. When God said, let there be light, Jesus was there. I mean, talk about a moment. Talk about a father-son moment. Like, for me, I, I, I loved playing basketball with my dad. No way would I go up to Jesus and showboat about my moment. I mean, talk about Jesus. Like, he could be in a group of people and say, yeah, I remember when my dad called that star by name. What? Like, you had these moments with the king, the father. Like, he was there, church. He was there when God breathed into the dust of the earth and man was formed. He was there when he took the rib out of Adam and made Eve. Jesus was there. And it also says in the Bible that through him and for him all things, all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Through him and for him all things were made. In other words, everything exists to make the glory of Jesus known. It would be as if, out of my love for Mia, I created something so that everyone could see the beauty of my daughter. Through him and for him, all things were made. Talk about intimacy. Talk about moments. And then you think about this passage of scripture where it says, but it was the Lord's will to crush him. I can't imagine I can't imagine the moments that I'm looking at my daughter in the back of my mind thinking to myself, man, I'm going to send this beautiful baby girl for the sins of the world. Like Jesus, he was a baby. He was innocent. Consider the innocence of this. That one day he would have to walk a road that would be so difficult. And it wasn't like his death was easy. Many of us know the story of Jesus. I mean, we know that he was beaten beyond recognition. It says in the Bible that they ripped the beard from his face. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And not only that, they whipped him and they beat him and they mocked him. And they put a, a robe on his shoulders and said, Hail the king of the Jews. And then to top it off, they nail him to a cross. The innocence of a savior. He was pierced. For our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, church. Consider, consider his innocence. Consider what he walked through as we walk into our Christmas season. Consider what the Savior had to endure for us. And I think about that moment, especially when Jesus is hanging on the cross. Before he says it is finished, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because there was so much sin, because the sins of the world were laid on Jesus in that moment, so much so that his own father had to turn his face away. And Jesus yells in that moment, Father, why have you forsaken me? I can't imagine, church, as a dad, when my daughter calls my name, I'm there. And in that moment, listen, if I was God, there would be Armageddon on the hill of Golgotha. Like everyone would perish. Everyone would die. As soon as my child yells my name, End scene, lights on, we're doing this a whole different way, right? But yet, in his mercy, in his grace, in his kindness and his compassion, in his strong and deep love, God the Father chose this way. Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And is now seated at the right hand of the Father. In order for him to sit at the right hand of the Father, he had to endure. So how does, all, how does all of this tie into our lives? How do I apply this to my Monday? If you keep reading in Hebrews 12, it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. So church, whatever situation you might be walking through, whatever circumstance is awaiting you once you leave these doors, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling anxious, just remember, consider him. Consider him who endured. Consider him who is familiar with suffering. Consider him who knows what it is to hurt, what it is to cry, what it is to experience loss. Consider him who endured so that you will not grow weary and that you will not lose heart. Jesus said that in this life, we will have trials, we will have tribulations, but we can take heart because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has overcome. Amen? He has overcome. So church, remember, consider him. Consider what he walked through. Consider how he was raised by Mary and Joseph. Consider the pain that he endured on this time on earth. Consider his innocence, the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come on, stand with me, church. Worship team, you can come. I want to read that passage of scripture again for us. Hebrews eleven twelve. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out.
before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So my encouragement to you today, church, is to not lose heart. Don't get weary. Yeah, we can acknowledge the feelings that we have. Yes, we can acknowledge that there's circumstances that are overwhelming, that there's situations that we're walking into that are beyond our control. But church, can I encourage you this morning to consider him? Consider the Savior of the world. Consider Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Consider that we have a high priest who is familiar with our suffering, who was tempted in every way like us, but yet was without sin. And yeah, you're probably saying, yeah, because he was the Son of God. And that may be true. But church, realize that when Jesus left this earth, before he left, he told his disciples, listen, it's better that I leave so that I can leave my spirit here. Who's the spirit? His name is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he's the counselor. He's the one that convicts. He's the one that empowers. The Bible also says that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, guess what? It lives on the inside of us, which means that I can walk into any situation and have joy. I can lay my hands on the sick and see them recover because of the name of Jesus and because of the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers me. So church... Let's walk with confidence into this Christmas season. Let's walk with authority that God has given us in this Christmas season. Because he holds the victor's crown. Amen, church. Not only did he die, but three days later he rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Advocating on our behalf that we can enter his presence with boldness in the name of Jesus. So won't you all across from close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've conquered death, hell, and the grave. And Lord, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to walk into our circumstances with boldness. Holy Spirit, that you would empower us that there's no weapon formed against us that will prosper. Because you overcame, I can overcome. Because you overcame, I can overcome. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. So come on, church, before we leave, can we just lift our hands across the room? And can we just lift up some worship in the room this morning? Come on, he is our everlasting hope. Come on, begin to cry out to the King of Kings. Begin to worship the Lord of Lords. Come on, He is holy. He is worthy. Come on, lift up your voices and begin to magnify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, He's worthy of our praise. Worthy of our adoration. Jesus, you're awesome. Come on, sing it out, church. Hallelujah, Jesus. There's salvation. With salvation in your oh, we declare your name. Jesus Christ, he is. My Come on. Come on, all across the room, sing it again. Hallelujah.
declare, declare the King of Kings this morning. Hallelujah, say hallelujah. church come on let's lift him up let's praise him and give him thanks consider him church consider him I will bless the Lord at all times yes. and his praise will be on my lips in Jesus name everybody shouted this morning amen. come on anybody amen. shout this morning amen amen so God bless you church have a great Sunday, we'll see you in the house this Wednesday. God bless you. We love you. And remember, church, consider him this Christmas season. Amen, amen.